Australia in four, the United States in five. Off, McKenzie at the bottom, Stubbins above her, Schlanger in six, then to the yellow lane, Henry. Queen start, Newell's got into the water quickly, but so did Joyce. For short of Germany was away well. They'll go to the wall all together, pick that one. Bloomer in fact, ahead of Manuel and Hirsch Amenya. What a shot, Peterson stumps her authority on another 200 breaststroke. Now Henry is starting to come at her. Henry's throwing Linden down. Linden and Henry. Henry and Linden. They hit it. Jody Henry of Australia shading. Jenny Thompson has taken the lead here. The Australians have only won this race once. It was with Dawn Fraser in 1956. Henry's moving away. She's going to win it for Australia. This has been a remarkable last leg. Jody Henry is going to bring Australia home for what will be yes! victory. <laughs> Another week to the Shannon Rollison podcast. My name is Robbie Cox as I introduce the star of the podcast, the man who sat at number one on the charts for the last two weeks and a bit, Mr. Shannon Rollison. Shannon, how you been, mate? Yeah, very well, Robbie. How are you? Mate, I'm very good. I'm very good. I'm nursing my wounds from the Melbourne Cup day. I don't normally punt that much, but Melbourne Cup day, I splash a bit out and Started off pretty well, um, as is usually the case. The first couple, you get a couple of winners that get you excited, it gets you interested, and you think, we, we're we on here. We're, we're on. And then it just goes downhill from there, as is the nature of gambling, I think. Um, mate, I, I wanted to ask, um, obviously I mentioned there being number one for the last two weeks on the charts. How, how do you find that sort of news when you find that people are, are enjoying listening to your stories? You're a humble man. Is there anyone else? Is, is- are we the only podcast? I mean, how is this? Well, mate, you know that's not true. You know, I have two <laughs> other podcasts that we've got. So you're, you're knocking mine off and we're knocking Inside with Brett Hawke off and we're knocking a few others off there off as well. For uh, po- That's in Australia, by the way, just for anyone yeah, yeah, who's yeah. going to grab that and say, oh, no, Brett Hawke's number one. And yeah, I, go, I get it. Relax. But in Australia, Shannon, mate, number one for the last uh, two and a bit weeks. Oh, well, that's, that's good. I'm, I'm glad people... Uh, uh, tuning in and having to listen while they're walking around a lake or something like that, uh, uh, or doing the washing up, something <laughs> you know, to keep them amused. Uh, very good. Yeah, it's no, it is. Fun. It is good, and, and we do appreciate all the listeners for for listening in and and uh, and being a part of the show. Now, I mentioned the Melbourne Cup, mate. How did you go? Are you somebody who gambles a little bit? Not at all. Uh, over the years, it's been interesting. When I first um, left school. Mates and I used to go out to Doombin and Eagle Farm, mm-hmm. um, and we'd, uh, you know, actually, I, I, you look back and think, God, how, how could you do that? You know, but like <laughs> we'd get there at like one on a Saturday, and you get home Sunday morning at like two two a.m. <laughs> You've been out for thirteen hours. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um, but uh, did that for a, a, a little bit. Um, but I actually, because I'm a big Farlap fan, mm-hmm. and um, uh, so I remember, I think the movie came out in the early 80s, and uh, that was a great film. I just love the story, you know, in, in the, the um, uh, yeah, the Depression, 1930, and all that sort of stuff, yeah. and the crowd, the crowd numbers back then. Like, it's one of the... One of the sporting, yeah. If you could pick a sporting event to go to, what would it be? 
And for a long, long time, that was the sporting event I'd like to be at, just to see the atmosphere and the crowd and all of that, you know. Mm. Um, and in, I was 12, it was 1983, and I won the Melbourne Cup. Uh I got my parents to put a bet on or something <laughs> with Kiwi. Yeah. And I bet on the horse because it looked like Farlap. There you go. And then the following year, my dad, and my dad wasn't a better or anything like that. Anyway, so the next year, dad says, what horse this year? And I said, so 1984, I said, Black Knight, because I just like the name. Yeah. And it won. <laughs> Two years in a row. Well, that was the last I've ever had. <laughs> I was going to say that's some luck because I don't think I've ever picked a winner. <laughs> I haven't had one since. Yeah. I thought I was like, oh, I've got a gift here. <laughs> yeah. No. <Nah. laughs> no. I think the last time I actually won, and it, it's, it sounds very similar to your stories. I don't. I can't remember the year, but people will know when I say the horse. I know the horse. Uh, it was Doremus, and I was just a big oh, yeah. fan of Doremus as a horse. I don't know why, but I was just a big fan and I, I liked it. So, And that's the year it won. And then I think the next year it just got second to Might and Power um, on the line. Yeah. And I was adamant it won. I was I was filthy that they gave it to Might and Power because I think there was a photo as well. So, uh, I it was saw close. Might and Power run at Doombin. I think it might have been one of his last runs. But Kingston Town, you remember Kingston Town or you heard of it? Yep, yep. Wow, yep. That was a great horse. Jesus. Yeah. Hey, do you ever see any correlation? I know we're different animals, but in terms of race, in terms of training, have you ever spoken to a horse trainer in terms of how they train their – because essentially, and I know it's going to sound really odd, but they are athletes, these horses. Mm. Yeah, you just don't have to deal with the parents. (laughs) Well, those horses can be cranky in themselves, don't you worry. (laughs) Yeah. Now, it is interesting listening to horse trainers, isn't it, you know, and – They'll have horses that just want to win. And, you know, we've talked about that on uh, the podcast about athletes that can just lift um, don't, or don't like to be beaten. And um, no, I haven't, but it, it is interesting. I think, um, well, there's been a couple of coaches that, that have davied in both. Um, I think, uh, oh, what was his name? Paul, he's a Canadian coach. He coached. Um, Inga de Bruin, he he used to uh, train horses and train stuff horses like that. as well. Okay. Oh, what was his name? And then, um, yeah, in Australia, I think there's been a, a, a few. Um, Brett Sutton, he was was he the dogs? And he had a bit to do with horses as well. So, yeah. anyway, sure. I remember Dick Kane. I know Dick Kane, the one of the the top New South Wales coaches from back in the day, and and Cars Park legend, and yeah. I know he was into trotters. I still, I still think he does train some trotters, actually. So, oh, yeah. um, so there's some correlation there for everyone who's thinking we're waffling on. It is actually interesting. I think there is some correlation and worth, you know, looking well, into. Yeah, that's right. And the other thing that, I mean, Australian horses from, you know, the little I know, um, or Australian trainers, they, they train them a lot when they're young. And the Kiwis hold them back. Which I find that that's interesting, isn't it? Mm. You know, so, um, and I think, you know, I th- there's a tendency for us to overdo it with our young swimmers as well. So, whether it's just in our culture, um, and I, yeah, I saw that in Europe, you know, they, they don't race that off that much. It's not that 
big on the agenda up until the end of school and it's just an activity and they swim a bit and and that's certainly why they can swim longer into their 20s um and if you correlate yeah horses are the same so yeah no it's definitely something to look into i don't think it's actually crosses uh the board you know like for like exact but you know if you're looking for little you know different ways to think about things i think you know certainly i love i've got a, a bart cummings book from before he passed away and it's great stuff really really good sort of coaching tips yeah. in there in in terms of how he went about his work uh, mate another thing we've got to talk about just quickly because i know the listeners um are very very keen and avid followers of your yard and how it's going i even posted a photo uh last week on instagram <laughs> letting everyone know how it's traveling how's it gone mate because you, you're working really hard on it <laughs> i have been the uh it's raining today uh and it's just that good not too hard you know soaking in rain and i've been banking on that for the last two days because i've been <laughs> pouring the water in i'm not looking forward to my water bill <laughs> so, uh, but it's going good uh the um there's a few still a little few patches here and there but um i actually got a guy out and it, and and we went through it a bit and i'm gonna bring my height down of my mower to help uh help it spread a little bit so no, no happy with that the, the deck's looking much better the dog's not trying to bring the dirt onto the deck so much because <laughs> there's grass for him to walk on so he, the dog's happier elsbeth's happier i'm happier there you go the adventures of shannon and his backyard continue <laughs> and i'm sure some more twists and turns and plot twists yeah to to come uh which we're excited to to find out about mate as that happens now uh, as everybody knows, each week we've got sort of a topic or something that we're covering. Last week, obviously, we had uh, Matt Trodden, that, that interview came out last week. And this week we decided we'd have a, a bit of a look at Kyle Chalmers' world record, uh, which we're going to do a little bit later as well. We're going to go through some programming as well. Uh, but, yeah, I thought it was very topical, that 44.8 um, in Kazan, world record, short course, 100 freestyle, and uh, Shannon thought we we might be a good idea to, to have a look through it but also shannon we wanted to touch on today just some you know little tips in terms of coming back into training all that sort of stuff especially for for coaches listening if they're from new south wales or, or canberra or melbourne um firstly you, for yourself how's your program been going starting back up yeah so we're into our third week um so uh it'll be the end of the third week on Friday because our first session back was on a Friday we we're allowed back in um, and um, we started off at 3.2k uh, a session and uh, you know I, I thought you know we, we normally do nine sessions a week and we got back into nine straight up um, obviously if the kids are doing year 12 and and that sort of stuff and they can't make a session that's fine um but so we're doing two gyms and and uh nine sessions so we they do two of their gym sessions are in the gym for an hour and then they come into the pool so we started off at just 1k light swim their choice after the strength and conditioning and the strength and conditioning you know it was just very very um base sort of stuff mm. the other seven sessions were at 3.2 so we we're at like 20 no 20 3k for the week or something like that 
Um, and then this, this next week we bumped up 400 metres on those totals. Uh, so we went to 3.6. And then this week we've, we're at 4K a, a session. So seven 4K sessions and uh, two 1.8K sessions. But um, And I've just been trying to, you know, aerobic-wise, um, very low-intensity stuff. Uh, the first sort of 10 days didn't really talk too much about technique because you're just trying to get the swimmers to get the feel for the water again. Yep. Um, uh, and like normal, their best stroke is the last one to come back and start feeling better. Um, so that was no surprise. Um, and I've just, with the aerobic stuff, I've just been trying to mix it. So we haven't done anything like... Um, 2100s freestyle, for instance. You know, I've just tried to keep changing. So we've gone things, we've gone some longer fractions, like four, five hundreds, but, you know, one would be freestyle, pull, one would be backstroke, um, swim, one would be alternating free and back, and the fourth one would be kick, mm -hmm. uh, I would say a minute's rest in between. And just trying to just... Uh, change the you know not not getting labored with that one stroke so just been changing things up a lot my plan is to start moving towards you know say 21s on 140 or and just swimming along at low intensity mm. um but the other thing i've been doing with it is a lot of short sprints um so i was just having a count back last week we did near 50 in, in the week um, and this week will be pretty similar. Um, the only thing I've done different this week was on Monday we did four 35-metre sprints. So that's the longest we've gone. Mm -hmm. So when I say short sprints, we've been doing a lot of 15-metre sprints from a push. Yep. Dive 20. Um, last Wednesday we did a set of uh, – it was a good set actually um, – of 25s, and we did 16 in total. It was four sets of four. So we go four 50s on a minute 45, one dive, three push. And, you know, they're just 25 max. Kids get their time. They swim through. And then there was a 150, 150 swim off. So um, 300 metres swim off. And we did that four rounds. Mm. The medley guys could do each round and each stroke. Uh, that, that went well. Um but then on Monday, uh, we went, what did we do on Monday? We got out to 35s. Let me see if I can. Yeah, we went four 35-metre sprints, and they swam through to the 50, and they walked back. We've been doing a lot of walkbacks, mm -hmm. um, and they were on three and a half minutes. And Tuesday morning, walked in and and uh, my, my eldest swimmer, Josh, uh, said, oh, I, feel, I felt it a little bit this morning. So, um, you know, I always sort of thought 35 metres, around that 35 metre mark, is, you can produce some good lactate. Mm -hmm. not, not off just four, but obviously he felt a bit of lactate for the first time. Yep. Because, because in all the sprinting, what I've been trying to do is, you know, just be working in that alactic area. So not, I don't want to produce any lactate. Yeah. 
Um, so I've been giving long rest. The HVOs, of those 15-metre sprints have been in kicking, pulling, swimming. Uh, then I'll mix it up with some, you know, nets or sponge. Um, some, I used to have sponge years ago, but we, we've moved towards the net. They just uh, put it around their waist and it drags behind them about a, um, about a metre behind their feet. Uh, just give a little bit of tension, a little bit of feel. So, um, but, but just doing that sort of stuff. And, and their sprinting's come back pretty good. Mm. Um, Aerobic-wise, it's been interesting. The, the people with the best background have, have come back the best. Um, and the youngest swimmer in my group, you can see, because she just hasn't got that years of training behind her. Mm. And uh, and then one of my boys, the country boys, has come into Canberra for uni. Um, he hasn't got a big background behind him as well. And he, they're both at the back, you know. Um, so that just reaffirms what we already know, but yeah. it's always interesting to see, isn't it, you know? Yeah, well, it's interesting you said that, that. That made a lot of sense to me. I found that with my own swimmers as well, those ones that you said had a really good base, base and background have come back a lot better. And yeah. I think I found that too. They're starting to look a lot more, you know, uh, relaxed in the water and they're, they're scooping it up now and, it, and the heart rate's staying a lot lower than it was sort of when we first got back. And for our, all our listeners sort of overseas, um, you know, who are wondering if anyone's just joined us today, this might be your first podcast and you're wondering, well, why are they just starting to get back in? Obviously, we're here in Sydney, we've had COVID and we've been in lockdown and we're only just, you know, getting back into the pool in the last three weeks. Um you know, and then we, you know, obviously life rolls on around us, even though we were in lockdown. So we've got states uh, for New South Wales state championships in January. Uh, we know that national age and, and um, national championships for us are in April as well, which really isn't that far away, probably 21 weeks now or something like that. It's not that far away. So for everyone that's listening outside of this, maybe they can put it into perspective for their own programs in a way. But my question to you, Shannon, is how important is it to resist getting into the red zone too quickly because that, you know, we're looking at the calendar, we're looking at the clock, we know time's ticking away. That's not going anywhere, but we still need to try and do it the right way, don't we, and build the strong base, as you said. We're built, you know, we're working on aerobic capacity. We're also working on speed. Ideally, we don't want to get into that red zone in the middle you know, till they're ready, but there is going to be that temptation, isn't there, when we don't have as long to go as we normally do to try and rev it up early. Do you think that's important for coaches to resist that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, interesting, like this is our second bite of the cherry, isn't it, with the, the lockdown? I mean, it was like nine, ten weeks last year and it's, it was nine for us again this year and, Sydney was even longer, um, and it all all adds up. But one of the things I noticed last year um, was, yeah, Queensland swam really fast at their state champs in December, um, and we were in Sydney in December, and um, you know they were like swimming like times that you would think you expect at the nationals. But the thing that I noticed was, um, so I noticed one how quick they were going at, at that point in the season. We and we were, we had again, we had bigger lockdowns than they did, and everyone was sort of like, Ooh. and um, but come April, 
a lot of those Queensland kids didn't swim any faster. Mm. Um, and, and, you know, I thought New South Wales clubs had had um, some good results at age nationals. Yeah. Um, and so I think you've got to keep that in mind from what, what did we learn from the previous year. The other thing, um, yeah, if, if you're trying to build your squad, you've, um, what we just talked about, you've got 20 or whatever you've got in your group, they're all come back a little bit different, you know, based on how old they are, how much swimming they've got under, under you know, the years of swimming they've got under their belt. So you want to, if, if you're interested in getting as many people in your squad to swim fast, you don't want to be try, treating them all the same, you know. So if you gave... Um, Here's an example, and we did this last night. Um, but if you gave twenty one hundreds on one forty five, you know, if I'd have done that last night, I, I would have had so many different variations of where people are at. What I did instead was I did a thirty minute swim, and I just said, "Just swim, any speed." I said, "Yep, whatever speed you like, as long as it's." not fast and it was uh 300 meters uh let me have a look here 300 freestyle 200 backstroke 150 freestyle 100 backstroke 100 freestyle 50 backstroke so that's 900 meters and when you get to the end you just you know you just keep looping it around and um my youngest swimmer in the group swam 1875 meters in the 30 minutes mm -hmm. and the not my oldest swimmer but i would say my most aerobic swimmer in the group uh swam 2250 meters i got that right yeah now heart rate wise my youngest swimmer um had a heart rate of 156 mm -hmm. and um the the girl who, who swam the furthest had a heart rate of 138. <laughs> so she swam, you know, what, 425 metres further and had a lower heart rate. Yeah. Um, now, she's about four years older or something, So and max heart rate, why is they different? But you imagine if they had all done the same set, just 21s on 145, pretty relaxed cycle, but you'd be getting different things. So... Mm. So, um, yeah, that's why you know, I did a, a talk. Um, and we did this last year. We did a lot of just 30-minute uh, swims and we built it up to 40-minute swims. Um, and I had a, uh, an online Zoom um, for New South Wales Swimming and John Shaw, and I mentioned it then too about just time swims. Because one of the things in running, you know, like running that you can just go for a 30-minute jog, can't you? Yeah. And I, I really think continuous swimming is, is a good avenue that doesn't get used enough because um, you soon find out your pace. <laughs> you know, you're not stopping and starting all the time or trying to hold the time or, you know, you just find your speed. So, you know, that's be patient. Um you know, I'm thinking, you know, what it's like. You're, you're watching them swim up and down and ideas are coming and you think, 
oh, we could do this. No, 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 just, yeah. just wait till November or just wait till December. I, I'm really trying. I'm Between now and Christmas, well, between when we started and Christmas, was nine. it's nine weeks, nine and a half weeks. And I don't want to even remotely go near anything lactate-wise or holding a time-wise until December. Mm. So it's sort of five-week build-up, a four-week um, normal sort of uh, not not back-end sort of training, but, you know, pretty solid training in December. Um, you know, we'll, where we'll be, you know, doing 50-metre efforts in in, in our repeats and, you know, we might be going 21s at A2 speed or things like that. So looking at that two millimole, three millimole work, but um, just trying not to do that until December, a good four week block. And then you've, you know, they break for Christmas. Certainly won't be having, you know, Christmas to New Year's off. Um, so give them a couple of days at Chrissy and then try and uh, come off the back of Christmas and get another good block leading in the States end of January, but still by no means expecting them to be swimming PBs late January. No, no, not at all. And hopefully um, for everyone, all the listeners out there, you're sitting down writing some notes because I certainly was then, man, just written down 30 minutes to 40-minute swims. I quite like that, especially um, it just to give a variation of what we're already doing, um, you know, similar to what you spoke about. I think my guys were doing 500s this morning, broken up into 150 pool, 100 swim, 150 mm. whatever it might have been. I can't remember exactly, but um, very similar. But it's good to have those variations. And one thing that stuck out to me again, we, you know, I'm very fortunate. Obviously, I get to do this podcast with you and pick your brain in a roundabout way. But, you know, also, you know, you and I have Zoom coffees at times and have chats just about programming. And I remember you mentioning to me uh, about trying to look stay away from the red zone for certain athletes that I had and just see how that goes have you ever done that before and I said no I've never really especially for those older guys so I'm trying that now how important is that do you think uh, for people as we're learning to to look at our athletes differently certainly some of the athletes are going to need to get into the red zone and start working at some point once we've built yeah. the foundations and the base I get that but do you think it's important, as you said, we're differentiating, we're looking at everyone individually and very different. Some swimmers, you know, they might not need to, to go into that red zone very much. Oh, exactly. And, of course, it depends on the events that they're training for. Um, but, um, yeah, it, it's it's easy to overcoach, you know. Um, and, yeah, we talk about Matt. I don't know if we mentioned it, but he, he had a good saying, once you've overcooked your steak, you can't undo it. No, know? he did. He did say that. Yes, he did. I remember because <laughs> I loved one. it. I wrote it down. Yeah, I wrote it down. I made a joke about I need to tell my wife that, remember? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, and, and you, know, you know, with Kyle there, um, you know, he's come off the Olympics and um, – you know, he's, I don't think they, they came back, those guys. I don't think they came no. back to Australia. They've just gone straight oh, over. And oh, He might have for a little bit, but he certainly didn't come back to do much other than, you know, do a bit of media and stuff like that. He certainly didn't come back for a block of training or anything. Yeah. Yeah, so, um, I mean, obviously, you know, Cole's got a lot of years behind him and, and stuff, but, um, you know, there's, there's muscle memory and all that and, and – and did, yeah, I mean, Jody was, you know, she, she got 
fit quite quickly, you know. Um, and um, and it, people are different, aren't they? You know, some people can um, do a lot of work without getting injured. Um, other people, you know, I mean, Jode in particular, she couldn't wear paddles because of, you know, but she had great internal rotation. Um, and uh, so whereas, you know, I never had a shoulder injury in, in my whole swimming career because I didn't have enough range in my <laughs> swimming career. So you just belt me. <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, so you, you've just got to take each, into, you know, each athlete as they come. Obviously, you can't have 20 different programs, yeah. but you've just got to have that mindset of trying to find out how much you need to do with different people um, re in reference to their events. So, um, yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it, it's not easy um, yeah. being a coach, but that's just one of the challenges. And if you like a challenge, then you'll be up for it. Yeah. And it takes time, doesn't it? It, it takes time, to, you know, to feel your swimmers out and work out, okay, that didn't work. This worked. You get yeah. some great results at a state champ. So you get some average results at us. And a lot of it is, is storytelling in a way, if you really want to look into it, it's told a story somewhere, whether you've, you've seen it or not. Um, have you ever had that yourself? Have you ever had a light bulb moment where you, you thought you had an athlete pegged, but then you didn't quite get the result you're after and you've looked back and you're like, actually, you've changed it a little bit, you've gotten the result you're after, and now you've realised, all right, maybe I had it wrong for a little bit there. I mean, you've coached a lot of athletes in your time. Uh, you've had a, a lot of great success, but with the great success comes great, um, you know, sort of learning um, times as well. And I'm sure you, you've had that. If, just for the listeners who are going through that, do you have any stories about where you maybe didn't get it quite right, learnt from it, and then they went on to, you know, to get even more success? Yeah, Definitely. I mean, one of the things that I sometimes beat myself up about um, in my own head is um, <laughs> sometimes, you know, doing, trying too many different things, you know, um, not inside a season, but from one season to the next. But you certainly learn a lot from doing that sort of stuff, you know. Um, and what I remember, you know, there's been different um uh examples with individual athletes but i remember as a group um and it was world championship trials in 2003 and i thought i'll just try something and i wanted to try how little we could do to get a result and i think i found it like the girls um that made the team that year had three on that team and and you know, they swam obviously swam well enough to make it, but they were you could see they were fading in their in their uh, races. Mm -hmm. So um, I remember I, f I found the least amount of work we could do, which was a good thing because I knew I yeah you know, that's that's how little we can do. Now we've got to do more than that. Yeah, you know, so it's a bit like you know I'm always interested in finding the break points. You you. You don't want to keep crashing through the break point where people keep getting injured, you know. So you've got to have your coach radar out at the other end as well. Oh, this is the most someone can do, you know. So, um, but I think you've got to be trying those things to one to be learning, because yeah, you know, what one person's break point, another person can 
just keep on going. I remember Greg Shaw, you couldn't hurt him with a hammer, you know. <laughs> and, um, you know, whereas other people couldn't, you know, couldn't wear paddles. So it's all, you know, and, and you always get to the end of the season and you think, ah, oh, that was good with these people, huh? And you're still giving yourself a hard time over that one swimmer. You can have nine swimmers swim well and one swimmer swims bad. And you think, what did I do? You know? So. Oh, mate, you're speaking to the masses there. I think any coach listening to this podcast definitely relates to what you just said there. You can have a, a brilliant week at state or nationals and, you know, you've got finalists or medalists or whatever. And there's just that one swimmer who just doesn't quite get there and you just. Yeah, you beat yourself up over it. Like, what yeah. What didn't I get right? It's crazy, isn't it? You know, it's hard to win in this game. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, we are. We're our harshest critics. But in a way, I think that's why, um, you know, we do keep improving because we do sort of go back to it and go, well, no, that's not. We're always after that 100%, which I don't think we ever, maybe you might have gotten there once, mate, with a couple of your big meets. You've had some, you know, some extraordinary times in your coaching career so far, but. I certainly know for myself and probably a lot of listeners, you know, we've probably got around that 80% where we've done really well, but it's always that little bit where you're like, okay, how can we yeah. improve? Yeah, mate. Well, don't think there'll be that many of them. I, I, I'm pretty sure I could count on one hand how many I've been totally happy with. But, um, um, but like I said, you can't be afraid to try things, you know, and, um, and that's how we learn. We learn from falling over. Um, and and I remember Don saying to me, you know, the swimmers have got to step up to the plate and stuff, but he said, um, you've always got to look at yourself, you know, and think what could I, what could have I done better, you know. So, um, and I've always sort of taken that with me. I thought that was good advice. Absolutely. But before we get in, on to Kyle, and I know I mentioned that was one of the themes of the show, Kyle Charms, and I promise everyone will get there, but I, I think it is topical that we talk about this sort of stuff, especially if you're a New South Wales coach or a, or a Melbourne coach or down in Canberra listening to this podcast. One last thing I just want to get your thoughts on, mate, in terms of coaching. We mentioned there everybody comes back differently. How important is it that we're looking after those swimmers that are coming back and they might be taking their time, they might not be getting back as quick as the others? The tendency sometimes for a coach, you know, I'm probably talking from experience now, is, is to get frustrated with those guys. Like, well, here we go. Well, look, the good swimmers are starting to pick it up. Well, what are you doing over here? Hurry up. Let's go. What are you doing? You're not putting in the right effort. Maybe they are. They're just taking their time coming back. How important is it that we are you know, looking after those guys and how would you look after those guys? So if you're doing, say, <clears throat> a set where, you you know, whatever it might be, I'm not I'm not going to chuck a set out of my brain, but whatever the set might be, you're looking at, you've got a core group of swimmers over here. Uh, as you said, they're the ones that have probably got a good base behind them. They're coming back. They're looking strong. They're starting to hit sort of good targets around that A1, A2, looking comfortable. You've got other guys over here who are trying, but they're not quite coming back as, as good. What What's yeah. your... Uh, advice for, for coaches who've got that? Because I can assume, um, I like to think of myself as the everyman. I like to think of myself as, you know, a lot of people are in similar boats to me. And I, I'm sure a lot of coaches in New South Wales have got the guns that have come back killing it. And they've got the other kids who are, are slowly, you know, taking their time. Yeah, well, <clears throat> it, it, yeah, like in, in my group, I haven't got the numbers that, 
you know, a lot of clubs have got. But just in my group, I've got three. So I've got 25% of the group still doing their year 12. Um, and um, and then my, my two swimmers with the least aerobic capacity uh, aren't doing as many sessions as, as the others. Um, and... So you've got to take that year 12 into consideration because we're at the pointy end of year 12 yep. um, and there's stress and all that sort of stuff. So they're probably, they're not going to be recovering as, as, as well as the other guys who aren't, haven't got that pressure. So you've got to take those things into consideration. I, I think, um, you know, one of the things that I took away from Europe a lot was just rest interval rather than time cycle, mm. you know? So I'd be, you know, if, if someone's struggling and you can see it, just, you know, just give them, sit down with them, you know, chat to them about it's okay and all that sort of stuff and just get them to focus on themselves rather than, you know, comparing themselves to the rest of the group and just give them, like, say, if, if in your head you've come up with a, a time cycle that gives everyone 30 seconds rest and this, these, these per, this person or you might have two or three uh, just getting less than that. Just let them do the hundreds or the two hundreds or whatever the the fractions are, with that same amount of rest cycle that you wanted when you wrote the program. Yeah. Um, and you know when you're building that aerobic capacity, it's really important not to build it too quickly. So. Um, so yeah. So generally, it, it's it's not always what you're doing. It's other things that's going on in their lives. Um, and if they can't get to the pool as often as others, then that's going to impact in their coming back. Um, but their adaptations are going to come through allowing the body to uh, adapt, not forcing the body to push harder because it won't adapt then. So, Yeah, no, mate, absolutely. Um, uh, I think... You know, the other thing, I do a lot of stuff within with time, especially just coming back now, 20 seconds rest, 30 seconds rest, depending on how, you know, if they're just doing A1 work, 20 seconds mm. rest is all you really need. But, and you wouldn't find this because you've got older kids, but for some of my younger kids, when they come back in and they're at the end and everyone's gone, they yeah, just they go. Have you yeah. noticed that? They don't give yeah. 20 seconds rest. I'm like, no, you're defeating the purpose of the yeah. set, mate. I gave you 20 seconds. Yeah. They, they just push straight As, off. It still happens in, in my squad. Yeah, with the the back markers, you know. Yeah, um, it's funny though. Some <laughs> like I've got one that doesn't like they are their own person. You know, they couldn't give a damn <laughs> where everyone else is. Do, 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 they go along, you know. Yeah, yeah. And it's 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 actually quite good, you know, because it actually says something about them. You know, um, they're just not going to follow or just try and keep up with the herd. So you sort of think, oh. That's going to be interesting to see how that person develops over the next few years, you know. Um, I think it's quite strong. Um, but then you get others that are just, yeah, they're panicking, you know. And so you've got to, it's almost got to do a sports science talk with them, you know. Oh, and one of my uh, girls asked, why aren't we doing butterfly? And I'm like, well, we can't do butterfly now. <laughs> if, we, if we do butterfly, yeah, heart rate's going to be through the roof. And actually, uh, on uh, Tuesday morning, we did four fifties of butterfly, and it was in a set that um, where is it? Uh, 
it was uh i did a reverse im so instead of doing um yeah we've been doing im work but with no fly so we'll go like double back breast free um and on uh tuesday morning we did a set it was 2k set um and there it, it was 300 meters um, you know, first set it was like freestyle, second set it was backstroke, third set it was kicking and pull. But at the end of the, the, the fourth 100 and the fifth 100 was a 200 IM. Um, so, and it was a reverse IM. And then at the end of the IM, they had uh, 30 seconds rest and they just had to take their heart rate. Mm. But I said, like, this is what should be happening with your heart rate and did it on the board. And it should be like down here, and then at the end of each of these fly laps, it's going to have a spike. So I just call it like A one, A two spike. Yep. Um, and then you know, the week before, I'd spoken to my butterfly girl about why we're not doing butterfly, and then she could see it the next, uh, you know, three or four days later. Mm. Just, I mean, it's in, virtually impossible to do fly without having a, a high heart rate. So. So if you're building capacity work, you can't give fly. Um, so it's, uh, but you can give fly if you just want to spike the uh, the heart rate. So you can use it in those, you manipulate it. Yeah. It's interesting you say that. I remember Jan Albrecht when he came out um, 2018. I can't remember exactly the year. I've mentioned it a few times to you. Um, when I, we had that great dinner when I just thought, what the hell am I going to say to this guy who literally wrote the book on, you know, lactate testing and stuff like that? I've never felt so stupid in my life. But anyway, so he came out and he, he did a, a talk and, you know, when they were talking about how when he goes to the coaching programs and he always liked them to, you know, let him know where the swimmers had been at and what week was what and what session where they were meant to get to, A1, A2 and what, you know. And uh, any IM work was always at a minimum A2 or higher. Anything that was, as soon as you wrote, oh, we did IM today, he said, okay, well, already, if you're yeah. telling me that was aerobic, then that's, you know, it's a high aerobic. It's not anything less. And it was interesting. I, I've, I've kept that for a long time, even now. Um, as you said, I, I, I'm not so much staying away from, but, but my, my, you know, we're just going 25. It might be 25 of the IM is fly or. 15 meters or something similar to what you're sort of talking about there. Yeah. Well, in the nineties, I used to do lots of IM work. Um, and I remember I had a freestyler and we we're just chatting one day and she was an older girl in my group. And she just said, Oh, the IM days just kill me. And I'm thinking, really? <laughs> like they're, they're supposed to be the off days, <laughs> but yeah, it, it was, Absolutely, yeah, and, and now I, I actually don't do that much IM work um, until the second half of the season because I'm. You can't control the lactate. Ah, sorry, the heart rate. You know, and breaststroke. I mean, some people. God, I just let them do pull, <laughs> breaststroke pull, because they cannot kick for quids. You know, so as soon as you've got someone who can't breaststroke out of sight in a dark night. Um, you know, your cycles just go out the door, don't they? You know, they can be as good as they like in the other three strokes. But um, so I just give them dolphin kick and breaststroke pull. Um, and the breaststrokers and people who do IM, they do complete breaststroke. But, uh, yeah, you, you can't give a lot of IM work if you're trying to work in that A1, A2 space and just build that low-level capacity. Yeah. Um, 
So, yeah. Yeah, no, it's interesting. I like just to bring it up because, as I said, I'd, I'd like to think that there's people listening to the podcast that were like me years ago who, you know, have their minds open to things like Jan Albrecht speaking about things like this. I wouldn't have understood it at the time. So, yeah, I'd just like to chuck that out there if there's anyone um, listening that, you know, can take that on, you know, into, into consideration. Yeah, as you said, it's hard to keep that heart rate down on an IM set. And if you're looking at just sort of building that aerobic capacity, mm. um, that, that's definitely going to sort of be counter to that a little bit. Um, It'd be like, um, remember, yeah, fartlek training? Yep. That's that's what it would be like if you were running along and you were doing, yeah, you know, a minute thirty easy and then thirty seconds fast. That'd be like I am training, you know? yeah. I am training would be quite similar. Um, so yeah, no, absolutely. All right, mate. Well, let's get on to what we what we wanted to talk about today, uh, as well as as that sort of stuff and getting back into it. And hopefully, the coaches out there have have gotten something out of that little chat we've just had then and. If you are from overseas, hopefully you can, you know, put that into perspective and maybe it might not be right now, but maybe Shannon's just given you a bit of an insight into, you know, your next preparation and how you might want to, you know, start off and build back up. So we like to think people are, are getting some some really good knowledge out of this and um, in a roundabout way, Shannon, the Shannon Rollison podcast was just me feeling a bit selfish having chats with you one on one, and I just wanted to share. I just wanted to share <laughs> the knowledge with, with the people. So hopefully they're getting something out of it. But yeah, we did want to talk about uh, Kyle Chalmers' world record, forty four eight four in Kazan. Uh, he, he's absolutely flying at the moment, um, and we'll get into the race in a minute. I'm going to share it actually, and we're going to just get your. Uh, feedback as it happens but you watched it this morning what would you think uh yeah i i uh, emailed um peter bishop and congratulated him and stuff like that i would have rung him but i lost his number anyway he sent it through to me so um but congratulations peter great uh, job he does follow the podcast i told does you he? yeah yeah he does he does um yeah yako said to me uh when i came back from europe um i think it was the first time i came back from europe he said oh he thought peter was one of the most underrated coaches in in australia so uh hats off to peter he's been a good coach for a very long time mm. um the yeah i mean the first thing it was on youtube I, and for some reason i i've never youtube swimming like i youtube a lot of stuff and never swimming and in the last two weeks, I'm just getting everything swimming. Yeah. I even saw uh, Jody, uh, the Manchester 2002, you know, my favourite Commonwealth Games, uh, the 4 by 100 medley relay came on um, and she came home in 28.0. And uh, if you had have asked me before the race who came second and third, there's no way I would have said South Africa. South Africa were in lane seven. And, you know, um, Charlene, the princess of Monaco, she's swimming. If you want to see Charlene swim 100 back, she win, She leads out. South Africans are leading all the way to the end of the breaststroke leg. And Charlene goes like 61.7 or something like that for the 100 back or 61.9. Um, yeah, so she could swim. <laughs> back in uh, 2002, and uh, had the training cozies type on, you know. Yeah, they were yeah. probably the best ones you could wear back then. But, um, yeah, that uh, 
for some reason, I'm just getting everything. Swimming is coming up. Mate, you got to watch. You got to watch technology. Your phones, they listen to you. Yeah. If, if, I don't know if you've ever noticed, but you talk yeah. about something with the missus and all of a sudden you look on your phone and there's an advertisement for what you just spoke about. They listen well, to you. I wonder if it's because of this podcast. It could be. The, the, the phone, your computers, it all knows what you're doing at all times. That's why I always, it, it was so odd to me when we were getting uh, vaccinated, right, for COVID and people, there was that theory, you know, that you're yeah. getting microchipped. And I, I just laughed at that because I thought, <laughs> they've already got you, you special people. What are you on about? They already listen to everything you say on the phone. They already listen. They know where you are. You're, yeah. You've already microchipped. It's called your phone. So, yeah, no, you've got to watch it, mate. It's always listening to, to whatever you're doing. Yeah. Well, I mean, we, we talked about it yesterday and I hadn't seen the world record. And then this morning I, I um, turned the telly on, put it on YouTube and bang, there it was, 44.84. The first yeah. thing that came to mind was, geez, he's swimming fast. I mean, not 44.8 fast, which is incredibly fast. It even sounds fast, doesn't it? Under yeah. 45. And what a shame it was an 09 world record because he was, yeah, he would have been the only man under 45. Mm. But because um, I saw, yeah, he broke Matt Abood's record, which was from 09 and 45.5. He went 45.09. I watched that and that was in Doha and there was hardly anyone around. I thought, well, yeah, that, that's a perfect place to swim a fast short horse race with hardly anyone. Yeah, because obviously the, the faster the swim, the more waves are created. Mm-hmm. But this morning's um, the world records from a forty four eighty four. He split twenty one forty, and he, he had a good field, and he he looked like he was racing kids. Yeah, I mean, I think one of them was a kid. That young guy um, uh, who broke the world junior record was from South race. Africa. Is he South African? Matthew Sates. No, no, not the two hundred freestyle guy. The hundred free long course. Remember going into the, the Olympics. Um, was he is he Romanian? Oh, the young fella, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, David Popovici, yeah. yeah, Popovici was in, uh, Morokov was in, in the race, and like Morokov's got speed to burn and a known short course swimmer. And Kyle had a body length on him, I think, at the halfway mark. Which, I mean, you can't try and swim through those waves, so you, you know, you want to be out fast, short course swimming. So, um, but he seems to have a lot of speed at the moment, um. And not always known it for his skills, but he's certainly hitting the walls. And, I mean, that's one of the things about the short course, and it'd be great to have a series here in Australia like that because you definitely swim into those races. Like when I've taken people to World Cups, they they just find – it's almost like they find their grooves. They, they find their distance on the walls. They start hitting their walls um, instead of the wall getting in the road. And it's almost like tuning up, and it certainly looks like that's what he's done. I mean, he was like 45.5, and then he was 45.0, and then he's gone at 44.8. So. Yeah, it's interesting you say that, and just looking at Kyle Chalmers and, the, and you know, since he was over. So the ISL um, season three um, and the, the sort of first rounds there was in Naples, and he was in, you know, swimming pretty well over there. Not super quick times, I think you know, 45 high or whatever it might have been. but And then we go into, obviously, um, Berlin, I think, was first, then Budapest and Doha and then to Kazan. So sort of, you know, it goes to, to your story there of what you're saying, you know, swimming into it and just starting to hit his walls, find his stride, 
find his length mm. um, and and do you find that have you ever had a, an experience like that with your swimmers where you know over a period of time like that they just started to to get it yeah no, without doubt um i didn't do short course for a long time until 2009 end of 2009 uh 2010 2011 i did the world cups um which uh, always around this time of year, and we just did the European legs, the, the three meets, and, um, uh, you know, the, the two best swimmers that I had then were um, Blinda Hocking and Angie Bainbridge, and they, they that certainly happened with them. Um, you know, Blinda would start at, in the trying to back at like 2.02, and I think she broke the Australian record a couple of years in a row, but, you know, it was get down to 2010. And I think the world record was two minutes at that point. And, um, and she'd just find her walls better and better. And Angie was the same. Um, she'd get, she, she was swimming 153s um, and sort of would start at 154. And, you know, for the 100 freeze, which wasn't her, her event, she was a 200 girl. But, you know, she'd get down to 52 high. And she'd start about a second. So probably not too dissimilar to what Kyle's done. Yeah. All right, well, let's get into it. I'm going to try and get, chuck it up here now for you, mate, so we can watch a little bit of it. And feel free to play the Sturlo on this commentary team and just put, if we freeze it right there and whatever you want, <laughs> I'm, I'm happy to press pause for you. Um, let's find it here. Uh, we're just going to drag this back. So obviously, uh, as I tee this up, I don't think anyone's actually going to hear. Well, you can't see the race unless I chuck this up on YouTube. But um, uh, obviously, the world record, Kyle Chalmers, forty-four eight, um, and we're going to chuck it up here. You can see this, mate. Yeah, beautiful. Can you hear it? Yep. Beautiful. Oh no, I can't hear it. No, it's all right. We don't need to hear it anyway. Just We're just watching, but. As he starts off here, you can already see the intent, which, as we spoke about earlier, mate, it was something we're not really used to seeing, Kyle Chalmers leading them out in that first 50. Yeah, I'm trying to get his rates, but it's stopping and starting. But, I mean, he's got a body length at the halfway mark, isn't he? Yeah, he's a body length ahead, 21.4, as you said, on the first turn, and just yeah, that intent. Just look at look at the kick on it too. Like that kick has started to really. Yeah, five kicks underwater. Let's see if he doesn't breathe. Nah. Uh, he doesn't breathe in the last five meters. World record twenty uh, forty four eight four. He's pumped. Have a look at him. He's giving him the gun show. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I was just looking at whether he breathed at the end there. And, I mean, it's different. You're holding your breath a lot more in short course race. But at the Olympics, he, you know, that was the big difference, I thought, um, with Dressel and him. And Dressel didn't breathe in the last 15 metres. Yeah. We used to do a lot of training um, with Jody and Alice um, uh, and even Janetta um, and and Penilla, no breathing last ten meters in our sets because that was our thing. And and, and um, Dressel's gone to fifteen meters out, no breath. And I remember Kyle breathing quite a lot in in that last fifteen. So it'd be interesting to see whether he um, 
that becomes part of his training repertoire to try and not do that. Yeah, well, he definitely got his head down at the end there. I, yeah. I noticed that. But one other thing that was obvious to me through that, he was he was breathing too. He had a really good length in his stroke. Yeah. Um, and I'm just wondering if that's something through this, you know, this progression from, you know, a 46 low down to now 44, 8, 4, whether he's, as we spoke about, just finding his stride, just finding that length and feel and, he, you know, he's getting really good um, shift off each stroke. Yeah. Well, he, he's always, you know, he's a powerful type swimmer. I was trying to get the rates, but it was just a bit stopping. It's my internet, mate. Sorry, I'll speak to the missus to pay the bill. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been interesting to just see. It looked like his tempo was up a little bit higher and, mm. And when I say a little bit, one or two would have been enough. Um, so, but his, his turns were good. You know, there's no doubt about that. And he was kicking, he was getting under the wave off every wall, uh, and especially on that last one, um, because you don't want to be hitting, when you start tiring, you, don't, you certainly don't want to be hitting any waves on that last 25. Um, but, yeah, it looked good. And 20, like just the lead he had it halfway. Um, yeah, it's very uncle Chalmers like if you, you look back, and I haven't watched a lot of his short course racing, so this is more just based off watching as a fan long course racing. Very rarely, you know, let's go back to 2016 Olympic final. He certainly mm. wasn't the first out on the turn, that's for sure. He was the first on the wall at the end, but he wasn't the first out on the turn. So there's definitely been a, a shift there in, in obviously mentality, but you spoke about earlier. Uh, it looks as if there's been a bit of a, a shift in in speed. Um, talk to me about because you've been in this situation before as a coach. Well, what sort of training is he doing while he's over there? Obviously, he's probably not in you know the, the normal big training block that you would be here in Australia. What sort of training is he doing at the moment? Obviously, we don't actually know this, but as mm. I said, you you can speak with a little bit more authority on it than me because you've been a coach who's been there and you're in that environment. What's it sort of like over there? Well, I mean, you're travelling, so you've got to deal with all of that. Um, you've got to have an open mind because things just go wrong when you're travelling. Um, you know, I, I would think off off his travel, you know, the first session or first day, depends on how many days you've got in between, but it'd be just a very much of a light swim, rollout type swim, stretch, um, and then the next day you might try and do something aerobic but not intense aerobic um just trying to tick it over keep the system um oh what's the word full not full but just kicking along you certainly don't have to have any intensity because it's all in the racing you know the heats finals next day heats finals so so it's just about um yeah feeling good in the water keeping that trying to keep that aerobic capacity um tank brimmed i suppose yeah might be the word um but you don't have to worry about fitness or anything like that from a oh we better do a threshold set or anything like that you know mm. um but the interesting thing is i i think these are this is great um because i i think they're, they're big learning curves uh opportunities to be able to race off a meet, um, I'm a big fan of it. You know, you, you peak for a meet, which obviously in this case was the Olympics, and then you can swim off the back of it at another meet, and you can just, you just, how do they go? So Some people might fall off really quickly, you know, like these 
people we've talked about in our own squads. Other people, like Kyle, he can just keep on going. You know, what is it? November. <laughs> so, um, you know, so you learn a lot as a coach by allowing these opportunities to happen and just sit back and take notes. Um, and, um, and, you know, like you said, there might, let's say there is another person in the same squad and they mightn't be performing or, you know, they might have been able to perform at the first two meets and then they're off. Well, then, you know, for next time, oh, well, we, we don't, that's not something we're going to do again. Um, but for Kyle, yeah, this might be part of his, you know, preparation for another, you might do the same thing again next year. Mm. Well, the exciting thing is, as from a fan, uh, they're about to go into ISL uh, playoffs um, over in um, Eindhoven, and we know that, that yeah, yeah, and you, yeah, yeah, I know you're a fan of that pool, mm. and we know he's just broken the world record, and we know that he's about to come back in contact with Caleb Dressel at some point, and they're going to go head to head again at some point in the future. So again, that's mouthwatering. Like if that's enough to pay the price of admission to go and watch an ISL race. I know it's hard to get to see it over here in Australia. It's on KO for anyone who wants to watch um, ISL stuff. It's on KO, but um, that's definitely, that's got me excited. If, if Kyle Chalmers is breaking world records, we know how the Olympics went and how close that was. It's only going to be uh, just as exciting short course racing as well. Yep. Uh, part of my ignorance is, is Dressel doing the ISL. He was doing it. Um, he had a bit of a break towards the back end of the the regular season. Um, it, it's my understanding that he's coming back into playoffs and stuff like that as oh, well. Really? But um, you, you just, uh, I'm not sure. Geez, that, that's that's like um, that'd be fantastic. You're absolutely right. I, and when you were talking there, it just brought back memories of Matt Biondi and Tom Yeager. And I remember on Channel 9 at midday, you know, in Australia in the mid-'80s, uh, it was like must have been, I don't know. It wouldn't have been mid-'80s. It was probably 86, 87, 88, something like that. Um, Tom Yeager and Matt Biondi, and they did a duel. And it was, uh, I don't know, where in America, probably Fort Lauderdale or something. And um, I think they had, it was 100 grand up. Uh, you know, the first person to break 22 seconds. And I think Tom won it and they both went under 22, you know. But they were, it's those competitions that you remember, isn't it? You know, like, yeah. um, and it's great for the sport. It's fantastic for the sport, you know. So um, sport needs more of it. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that'd be well worth the, the admission price. Yeah, absolutely. Look, I hope it's true. Look, we are a little bit sometimes sheltered over here in Australia from news of what's going on in the swimming world, yeah. if people are injured or they're not turning up or things like that. So, look, I'm hoping from a fan's perspective that, that Caleb Dressel is is there for the playoffs and he's swimming for Cali Condors and there's a head-to-head matchup at some point in the finals between him and Kyle in the 100 free um, it, yeah, it's going to be mouth-watering stuff, that's for sure. Um, just quickly, on, on speed-type sets, we mentioned there he, he looks like he's found a bit of speed. 
Um, what, what are some of your favorite sort of speed sets to, if you're looking for a shift in speed, if every, you know, if they'll watch, everyone's looking at their kids at the moment, wherever they are in the world. And they're like, well, I want to sort of get a bit of a shift here and get a bit more speed. What, what sort of sets would you be looking at doing? What are your go-to sets for speed? Um, I, I really like 30 meter sprints, uh, from a dive, um, and a- anything less than that, you know, um, so, like I said earlier, we're doing lots of 15-metre stuff um, and, you know, with some of my younger swimmers in the, in the squad, that's really helped them learn how to get their rate up. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, the, and then 20 metres from a dive, I just call them SVOs. Um, we do a lot of that. Um, but then, you know, one of my sets... Uh, Oh, and just, you know, 25s and things like that. But, you know, something that I've had for 20 years is, you know, six or seven or eight 30-metre sprints, walkbacks on three minutes. Um, and uh, but, uh, but as I, you know, I think timing's everything and, and it's when you apply it. And, and, you know, one of the things about reverse periodization is when you're in good shape, then doing your speed work, so you come off your major major meet you've swum you've you've trained all year all season to get there you're in great condition you're swimming fast then do some speed work and that's what i always you know liked about going to that second meet um mean kyle's doing that now yeah and anyone else is over there you know they're just when well, he's just been swimming fast now for five months you know, and what's the body designed to do? It's designed to adapt at what you throw at it. Mm. Um, and, you know, Pampax 2002 comes to mind with, with Jody and, and Alice that I had on that team. And um, they went to the Commonwealth Games. That was our major meet of the year. We came back, and I think it was, oh, I'm only guessing, but maybe six weeks later, something like that. And, and I, I just sort of threw the meat. I, I didn't, you know, we were going to it, but wasn't wasn't one of the things we'd trained for. I can remember we, at some point, they swam and they, you know, I thought, oh, this is going to be a terrible meat. They're in a big hole. Yeah. Uh, and we were training in that. Um, and uh, went to that meet and, and, and Joe smashed the Australian record in the 53 and, uh, I think even the 100 free, she got the 100 free. She didn't have the 100 free record. Um, even though she won the Commonwealth, I think Sarah Ryan still had the com- uh, Australian record. Mm. So that secondary meet in 02, um, you know, Mongo swam much faster than what they did at the Commonwealth. So as, as I said, you learn a lot as a coach, but your athletes get to spend a big chunk of the year swimming fast. Yeah. You know, and making the most of the training that they done in the previous prep so it's just a win-win yeah no you're right and you know just looking at Kyle I think it sort of gets lost because he came second at the Olympics but that was actually a PB what he did at the Olympics Mm. that's as fast as he's ever been before coming off a shoulder surgery coming off you know what what was going on with his heart which we know about that sort of stuff that he would had going on there um you know I think it was even maybe um, yeah, late last year or early this year, he still wasn't really training 
at full, you know, full capacity. I don't think he was still getting niggles with his shoulder. It still wasn't quite right. I think if anybody watches um, that documentary on on Amazon, um, you even see where they're at a training camp and he just says to Bish, you know, look, it's it's actually playing. I don't want it to because I really want to get in. You can mm. just see the greyhound mentality of him. Like he wants to go. He wants to race the boys around him. But he's like, I know what you want me to do and I should be pulling up here because it's, it's really sore. So you can see he's gone through that, and and I think maybe now and look, he may still be he may still be feeling a little bit of it. I'm not sure. Um, I didn't really ask him too much when I had him on the podcast because we had some horrible internet connections there, and it was it was a shocking interview that way that way wise. So I was just trying to get as much in as I as I could, but it would be you know interesting to ask him. Um, but yeah, he's been swimming fast since then, 47.0 off the back of that, and maybe we're starting to see now what he would have been capable of had he not have had that setback. Maybe he could have been even quicker come Olympics time had he had a really good long preparation and not had those injuries. Um, but you mentioned something that interests me just before, um, just quickly in terms of the 30 metres. We know speed um, when you're training it is is usually between, what is that, 0 to 12 seconds or whatever it might be. Um, in terms of pure speed, if you're training pure speed, and correct well, me if I'm wrong because you know more than me. So you, your a-lactic work, you know, is before the onset of obviously lactate and mm-hmm. you want to be in that under 10-second area. Yeah. You know, so then once you get over that, then you're starting to move away, you know, from from that pure speed. And obviously yeah. the further you go down the pool um, and a 30-metre sprint for a 14-year-old is going to be different to a 30-metre sprint for Kyle Chalmers. And that's where I was starting to go with this question. So yeah. I'm glad you brought me to it was how important, and we've spoken a lot in this podcast about differentiating, how important is it to understand, okay, a 30-metre you know, sprint for my top guys is still speed, but a 30-metre sprint for my guys, you know, for the younger guys, that's actually now, you know, starting to get, you know, into a different, um, you know, area of training. Yeah, it'd be like doing 35s for, for your top guys. So, so, um, because it's taking them three or four seconds longer, and then you're going into different energy energies, uh, a- yeah, areas, yeah. Um, but just while I think of it, that the, I think the the very important thing to keep in mind when you're doing speed sets, so it, it can be whatever you you know all of those variations that I mentioned before, but it's what you do before the speed session it's what you do after the speed session that is just as important or more important than the speed session itself because you've got to set them up to go fast and then you've got to not damage what you've done the following day you know so it's the mix of the training that's just as important as to whether you do 830s or 825s or 1020s do you know? Mate, I couldn't agree with you more, but for the listeners, give me a clue into sort of how you set that up. So you say it's it's so important to set it up and then, you know, off the back of it as well, what you do after it. Give us a bit of an example as to, you know, yeah, what so you're doing. If, if we go Monday afternoon, I want them to go fast. Um, I'll, I'll come in Monday morning and everything we do on a Monday morning is with what's in mind to do Monday afternoon. So um, steady work, um, some technique stuff, 
bit of a real mixed grill, bit of pulling, swimming, kicking. And generally what I'll do is then try to, uh, the last part of the Monday morning session will be in their, their better strokes, um, their best stroke, and it'll be uh, some drill, some stroke counting, some efficiency work, and then hitting a couple of HVOs, just trying to prime them for that afternoon session. Um, and a lot of times, yeah, if you have someone who misses training on a Monday morning and they haven't swum since Saturday, they don't feel good in the water on Monday afternoon. So, but the guys who have swum Monday morning, as long as they've done, you know, you've set it up for them, they'll, you know, I sort of call it Monday morning-itis. You get rid of that and then they're ready to go Monday afternoon. And then off the back of that, Tuesday uh, morning, we'll just be doing A1, A2 work. So, you know, active aerobic work, but not nothing that's going to um, upset what we've done the night before. Yeah, it's just complementing, isn't it? It's still doing exactly. its it's still doing its job. It's still building your aerobic capacity. So it's not a throw-off set, but it no. it's just not um, undoing the good work that you've done, yeah. um, which I absolutely agree with you, and I've learned a lot from you around that. So, uh, you know, I had a bit of basic knowledge around that, but certainly having chats with you has helped me really understand that a lot more, and I, you know, my whole week is really, you know, based around that sort of stuff now. Talk to me about that. How important is it when you're setting up your week not to have too many things that are, are sort of contradicting each other because ultimately it's not going to work together, is it? As you said, nah. if you've got, um, you know, your heart rate type sets and those sort of anaerobic power sets, if once we get into it and they're really working hard, um, where that goes into and, and also how that plays into your week as well. Yeah, and that's that's the trick, isn't it? It's like a good pizza. You, don't, you know, it's just the balance. It's not putting too many different things on it. You know, it's chicken and avocado, not putting chicken, avocado, pepperoni. And <laughs> and, and that Rocco Muring, he said it really well. I, I think I was listening to him. He said, "Not try, don't chase too many rabbits, you know. Um, I, th I think that's a good way to put it, you know. What are you trying to achieve? And just focus on that and protect it. Yeah, And that's why you need good long particularly when you're developing young swimmers, you need nice, long, slow progression build-ups, not short, sharp, quick ones, you know. Um, and it's why I keep pushing, you know, don't go to too many swim meets, you know, and then, you know, parents are, oh, Johnny swam fast last month, but this month they're not, they haven't improved, you know. <laughs> No shit, Sherlock. Yeah. <laughs> three weeks. <laughs> oh. um, you know, so we, we we set up, we just make life harder for kids and coaches by racing too often. You know, getting, getting back to the horses now, aren't we? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's always amused me, and I'm sure you found this, and I, I don't know why, but for some reason coaching, and I'm sure all coaches find this, it's not just swimming coaches, but coaching is one of those professions that apparently everybody knows how to do it even if you don't have a, a license for it 
Because, like, I would never walk into a hairdresser's and go to the barber guy like, oh, hey, mate, I think you, you know, you probably could have done it a little bit differently. This is how I would have done it. Or, uh, you know, in, in a, you know, go to a building site and go, oh, is that how you lay in your bricks, mate? I probably would have done it in this direction. Or, But for some reason, in coaching terms, and I'm probably upsetting some parents that listen to the podcast, I apologise, <laughs> but they just love to give you their take on what they're seeing. And I just think that's fantastic, mate. I really... I've been coaching 20 years. How long have you been coaching? Oh, no, I'm not a coach. Oh, funny that. Yeah, thanks for that. Have you noticed that? <laughs> yeah. And without doubt, but also without doubt, you know, the best swimmers, their parents just let it, you know, they're champion swimmers and they've got champion parents, you know, so they just drop them off, pick them up. Are you happy? You know, that sort of mentality. Mm. I think I told you Susie O'Neill told me her parents were like that. They'd just drop her off and she said, you know, I'd be, you know, doing really well and they'd still just treat me like it was any other day, like, you know. Yeah. It was just normal to them. As long yeah. as she was happy, they were happy. Yeah, that's right. But, but uh, you know, I was just thinking about when you were saying about the hairdresser analogy. And the, <laughs> that, that's so true. Oh, don't tell me you did it because you got a haircut like the other week. Don't tell me you went in there and said, mate, I, I probably would have tried something different, but no, it looks good. <laughs> oh god was that that was packed is that have some shares in in uh hair salon, hair salons at the moment yeah but yeah yeah you know 100 right um and yeah anyway those parents generally they they hop off to the next coach don't they you know they the swimmers uh hop skipping and jumping all you know they've had four or five different clubs mm. They're always chasing something. Yeah, and funnily enough, it's always somebody else's problem. It's, mm. uh, I've been to six clubs and uh, they were all bad clubs. What do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> I know those five, six coaches. They're all, they're all good coaches. Anyway, anyway, let's let's stop parent bashing. They're all lovely people and I appreciate all of their business at Off The Block Swing Academy. <laughs> um, so, mate, j- just getting quickly back to Kyle and the world record and we've spoken a lot about, uh, you know, the way that speed works really well with sort of a aerobic capacity training do you think that's sort of what he's pre- predominantly doing over there at the moment he's using yeah. his speed he's using his racing as a bit of his training work and outside of that he's probably just rolling the arms over keeping it a1 a2 and staying efficient yep yep i mean i don't know but certainly that's what i'd be doing with my swimmers and if my swimmers were over there and i wasn't that's all i'd be saying you know mm. um so yeah so exactly what I sort of said about protecting the set and stuff, that's what he's doing, but it's just a race. He's protecting the race and he's getting ready for the next one and um, his only objective is to swim fast. So as a coach, you know, back in your squad, at you know, this time of the season, what's our objective? I want him to get faster. All right, that's then the only objective you've got. Yeah. No, 100%, mate. Now, just I just want to ask this question because quite often when we're talking about power and, and building a bit of strength and, you know, there's going to be that conversation around what we're doing in the gym, things like that. It's always uh, an interesting topic in terms of, especially for age group coaches listening, when the kids are in the gym, what they're doing in the gym. I know famously when I had Bob Bowman on the podcast, he said, you know, Michael didn't touch weights. No, he didn't say he didn't go in the gym, but he said he didn't touch weights until he was about 18 or 19 or mm. w- whatever that age might have been. Um, and obviously we know that worked really well for him. What's your sort of thoughts on on that sort of stuff 
what would be your progression in in the gym ideally when you've got these youngsters coming through? Yeah, I think for girls, you know, probably around that 15 years of age, they need to start doing some gym work. Um, I think boys can, I'd have no problem with them waiting longer um, because you just want them to grow to their potential. Um, And uh, just doing body weight exercises, learning how to do a proper squat, learning how to use their glutes, getting shoulder stability. Uh, and this is for males and females, really, really important. Um, my, my biggest bugbearer over the years is is just swimmers not knowing how to switch their glutes on. Um, uh, and, yeah, you, you can only apply so much pressure to the water, you know, which I think unless it's changed, it's like 32 square feet pounds of torque or something um so you know that's why the strongest swimmer doesn't win the race you know it's a combination swimming's a sport of trade-offs and um so you know you gotta as a coach you gotta make sure that what they're doing in the gym's not affecting what you're trying to achieve in the water and if you're working with a snc guy then they have to understand that and um you know, in my experience, you know, the, those reps around uh, seven, eight, nine, that sort of area can really hurt the swimmers. It can really make them sore. When you're doing reps of like threes and fours, they can tend to lift some good weight and still swim fast. Mm. Um, or, you know, it doesn't give them that delayed, uh, what, what do they all call it, DOMS? You heard of like- that too? No, no, mate. <laughs> no, I haven't. They loved it in the UK. Oh, I've got doms, doms. <laughs> I guess what you're saying there in a way is to, and, and it's the thread through all of this, which I've, I've been happy with. We've managed to, even though people don't really know this, but we haven't had much of a, a run sheet today. This is more off the cuff than we normally do it, but I'm glad we've we've seemed to create a bit of a thread through it, which is, you know, when we're looking at the week and, and how it all balances and having balances, having things work together, I guess what you're saying there is making sure what they're doing in the gym does balance and complement what you're trying to do in the pool as well and it's not countering it, as you said, if, you, you know, if you're trying to just work uh, speed, aerobic capacity, but yet in the gym, you know, they're probably in the red zone where, where you don't really want them through that yeah. period of time. Yeah, so generally when I'm doing that sort of speed sort of work, um, they're, they're doing, you know, their reps are like three, three reps, things like that. Um, and then they're, that's in their major exercises and then their um, ex- accessory type exercises, you know, which aren't heavy weights and stuff and it's more um, scapular control and things like that. They might be doing, you know, 10, 10 reps, but that doesn't hurt them, you know, because, the you know, it's a, three kilo dumbbell and they might be doing reverse flies um so so yeah but absolutely because you can really hurt them in the gym so yeah do you have any do you have any sort of uh favorite sort of i want to say exercises because you probably work predominantly with s and c's and get them to do it but do, do you have any sort of things that you are staples within your program that you you want your athletes doing in the gym that you know that if they're, they're doing that they're going to uh, it's going to cross over well. Yeah, like chin-ups, pull-ups, um, reverse flies, as I mentioned, with an external rotation at the end of it. So that's just laying on a bench. Um, 
glute work, you know, one of the things, you know, if you go back into my program in the 90s, we were doing squats and stuff. I'm not that huge on squats anymore. Um, we, we might do a variation of a squat, but it's just more about glute activation um, and uh, which I find a lot of athletes, a lot of swimmers aren't, aren't good at. Um, core stability work, shoulder stability work. Uh, and then I like combination exercises. So, so that you might be doing um, like uh, a shoulder press on one leg and the opposite leg to the arm. So you, you, you're working that cross section of the body mm. or um, uh, just multi exercises where there's um, re- where it requires strength coordination because yeah when they're swimming so much is going on isn't it you know they're not just pulling they're kicking yeah and there needs to be a connection between the those two things which is the core so yeah things like that um my my last question just on this in terms of gym work uh, are you someone who likes to get specific in the gym so specific to swimming type movements um areas of you know or are you someone who wants to create athletes in the gym does yeah. it, do, do you know what i'm saying I, yeah, I, you know yeah, there's absolutely. definitely people out there that are like you know let's get specific and let's work this because this is going to be better for their yeah you know, i don't think this. you can do that yeah um i'm a big one about trying to create an athlete um coordinated being able to apply strength um you know, a, a, yeah, I'm trying to think of it in a percentage point of thing. Yeah, 70, 75% of the gym work that that we do is injury prevention. Yeah. Um, and I, I did all from 1992 all the way through to 2018, I did all the gym programs wherever I was. Mm-hmm. So um, whether it was at Chandler, AIS here, you know, I've been fortunate to have good um snc people to talk to over the years for ideas um my current setup there's um mitch pembleton does the gym work snc work um so and 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 i just try to you know he's a young guy and he certainly knows a lot more about snc than i do but i try to influence him in my experience i've had with swimmers over the last 25 years or so do you have sort of conversations around this is where we're at program wise this yeah. is where we're going so then he has an understanding yeah him and i we catch up once a week and just go over stuff how's people go, traveling um and he certainly knows you know the seasonal plan um and um you know um but definitely i, I don't think you can mimic swimming is you just have to swim yeah. you know because one thing you're you're trying to put your hand in the water and not let that hand move and your body to go past it that's pretty hard to replicate in the gym um and i think unless it's you're absolutely certain it's a hundred percent and it's if it's not a hundred percent i think it can be dangerous the other thing is like um you know, it was interesting with Jess when she came in. She'd been doing a lot of gym work, um, and I was, we started Jess Hanson. I'm talking about, and yep. 
the first preparation that we did with her, it was just like a 10 weeks to New South Wales. So it's this time last year, she was doing three, and I think she'd even been up to four um, previously, but she did three. And we just couldn't, as the weeks went on, her shoulders just started getting worse and worse. And um, in the end, like, like she could not swim without pain. Um, anyway, we just managed to get through and we went to the state champs and stuff. Then we had the Christmas break, had a, had a week or 10 days off and came back. And I said, what do you think about cutting out a gym and just doing two a week? Um, and then there's a, the third gym session is, is like just um, like a body fitness type workout. You know, it's not a li- lifting weight workout. And she said, oh, do you think that it'd work? I said, Jess, that's what I've done for 20-odd years. I, I don't think it'd work. I, I know it'll work. Um, but I just think it's worth a, a, try, a try. And um, it gives you 72 hours between each gym session. So she'd do it Tuesday and Friday. And boom, no more injuries. Shoulders were fine. Yeah. So... Yeah, no. It's just back have, to different. Yeah, you know, some people can do three, can't they? You know, and not have any. And maybe she could do three when she was younger, but as she got older, just couldn't keep doing that. Yeah, no, hundred percent, mate. And, and that's important too. Um, you know, for all the coaches out there, isn't it? And you, you know, speak more uh, with an authority on it than me. But uh, as you do have those age group swimmers progressing your knowledge and understanding of them as an athlete and then the program as they get older and, and Mm. um, you know, and and I guess where I'm going with this is, you know, maybe they can sit in the red zone a lot more, um, you know, when they're younger, they can do a lot more, you know, of those, you know, big sets, 30, 50s, you know, um, all all at at best average or whatever it might be on a certain time. But as they get, you know, they can probably recover quicker, all that sort of stuff. But as they get to that, you know, 18, 19, for girls probably younger, obviously, um, you know, how important is it to take into consideration, okay, we might need to back off these. Still touch on it, no doubt, but we might need to use it a little bit less because they're, they're growing as an athlete now. Yeah, and just changing. That, that's what makes it hard to, you know, coach people over a long period of time because they change and sometimes you don't change enough yeah. with them, you know. Um, Greg Salter and I used to talk about, he used to always ask me, you know, um, you know, how many years do you think is the optimum for coaching someone? And I, I used to say like six or seven years. Yeah. So, um because you know, as a as a coach, you can think, "Oh, well, they used to be able to do this, and now they can't do that." You know, well, you've got to be able to adapt. But it's a lot easier if they move to someone else. They haven't got that history, which sometimes can be good. Definitely can be good, but sometimes it can be a bit of baggage. You know, and for the coach's own head, let alone the swimmer. Mm. Um, I think Alice Mills struggled with that a little bit as she got older because she used to, in her own head, think, oh, I used to be able to do this. Now I can't do this. So, some, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's like coaching, isn't it? It's just not easy. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, no, you're, you're absolutely right. Um, you're 100% in terms of, you know, I, I see it myself, certainly not at the level that you were coaching at, but I've got those 17-year-old boys who are starting to realise, you know, they can't do what they used to do. Or um, we certainly had, I know I've mentioned to you a few times, I've started a, a uni squad type. So we've got, you know, these 19, 20-year-olds coming in and got a big sprinter boy in the other day who can lift massive weights in the gym and all that sort of stuff. And he, uh, he went a dive 25 at, I think he went 10-7 or 10-8 or something, and he said, oh, how good's this? So what did he do? He's like, let's go again. Come on, boys, let's go again. And did he get 10-7 the next one? No chance. <laughs> it was like 11-5, and he was having a heart attack. And it was just me trying to, uh, you know, smarten him up to, well, you're not what you used to be, mate. So I guess that sort of goes to what you're just saying there. Yeah, absolutely. Oh yeah, those those days are fun, um, absolutely. But uh, mate, all right. Well, listen, I think we've we've hit the nail on the head, and I, I think hopefully a lot of people have gotten a lot out of this. And I actually wrote down back end speed sets when I first thought of talking about Kyle Chalmers, and everyone can probably understand that based off you know Kyle Chalmers' mm. previous work in the pool and and how he just rips it on that second fifty quicker than anybody we've seen for a very long time. But um, you know, as we've seen and we've had a look at his race and we've analyzed it and he's definitely looks like he's had a shift in speed so i'm glad we we covered that and hopefully the listeners have gotten something out of it hopefully you know i know you hope this too but you know, hopefully the you know the coaches out there are just getting some little pointers i don't think we're solving the world's problems but we, we might be able to just give you that little bit of a a different perspective on things that you know you might not be looking at and and that's what i hope and from your perspective, that's something you like to do as a mentor coach, isn't it? Just not so much tell the coaches what they're doing right or wrong, but just offer a, a different sort of look at things. Yeah, well, yeah, it'd be nice if we had all the answers, but we don't. So um, that's what makes the whole game interesting. Um, and it's certainly something I had over my years. I had a lot of older guys to be able to talk to and and, and just sounding boards, you, you need them. Um, and, and you need to be able to do th- you know, the same thing differently for for swimmers' own headspace, you know, because they're just swimming up and down that black line. So, um, but, uh, you know, patience. A, a lot of all what we're talking about, you just need patience. So just don't start those those sets until you need to, those back-end type work, workouts. Um, be patient with speed. Be patient with your uh, capacity building um, and then be patient with the individual because they'll all move at a different different rate. Um, it's the art of coaching really, isn't it? It's, yeah. it's, it's the, what makes your, your Michael Bowles and your Shannon Rollison's, you know, the, the top of the, the top of the tree is, is that art of coaching and getting that balance right where others are maybe pushing a week or two early. Uh, yeah. You guys have like had baking. the experience. Gennady Turetsky once said, you know, it's like baking a cake. And sometimes the cake doesn't rise, you know. Um, but, you know, the art of coaching is applying the science um, to different people and how they react. So, Mate, Great advice there. And as I said, thank you very much to all the listeners for joining us again this week for a bit of a different Shannon Rollison podcast, but definitely I, I think one that's very insightful. And I know I wrote down a few notes, as I said, so especially that one about 30-minute swims, 40-minute swims, I really like that. So hopefully, yeah, the listeners are, are taking notes and writing it down because ultimately that's what the Shannon Rollison podcast 
is all about. Um, it's just a, a conference each week that's free for everyone to join and, <laughs> and listen in on and, and take notes and hopefully get a bit of a laugh along the way as well and, and enjoy it uh, as much as I do. And, and for all the listeners out there, just to give you a heads up of where we're heading in the next few weeks, we're going to have uh, Tani White join us as a special guest interview, Shannon coach for many years, and I'm sure she's got some great stories about training with Shannon. We're also going to uh, look back on the 2011 World Chance from Shanghai with our special guest, Brant Best, who, who had a, a great meet there himself as a coach. So some great stories, I'm sure, <laughs> Shannon, between you and Brant on that one. And the other th one that I'm excited about is we're going to do an Ask Shannon Anything episode, which, yes. you know, could go pear-shaped. I don't know. Who knows what sort of crazy people we have <laughs> listening to the podcast. Um, but it is literally Ask Shannon Anything. So keep a lookout for that on your social medias because um, we're going to be asking for questions on that. Literally anything. It could be program related. It could be, um, you know, speaking about sports psychology. Shannon's big into cars and, and all sorts of things. Uh, Muhammad Ali and Bruce Lee and all that stuff. So you can ask him uh, grass. grass. I mean, I don't know if he's got many answers for you about the, about the grass, but uh, you can ask him anything. So I'm excited, Shannon. We, we know where we're heading. Uh, for all the listeners out there, we are definitely going to try and get most of the way through uh, this year. We'll probably start to have, wrap it up just before Christmas, but... Uh, mate, we're on a roll now. We're enjoying it. I think the audience are enjoying it. So we're going to keep going and uh, we've got some exciting times ahead. You must be excited for some of those ones. Yeah, it'd be good. I mean, but a lot of people wouldn't know. Brant was my best man in 99 um, and we go back a long way. So uh, we've got some funny stories, but um, he's a great coach, had a great 2011 um, and there's a, there's a story to that meet as well. For anyone who was in Shanghai, we'll had to uh, navigate the food. But um, <laughs> and Tani, uh, um, talk more about Tan next week. But uh, you know, her and I got got uh, parents to Greg Shaw's uh, one of Greg Shaw's children, and and you know, coached her for two thousand three to two thousand nine, and before that it was Ken Wood. So I'm interested to. Talk to her about Ken because um, she basically had two coaches in her career, um, and Ken was a great coach. Um, everyone knows Ken, and uh, the um, she'll have some good ones for us to listen in into. It's funny, just quickly on um, Brant Best, who you know I've told you I've learnt an awful lot from, and um, it's interesting for me from an outside looking in just on myself, cause he's probably not someone who I would normally think I'd be super compatible with. He's very intelligent. He speaks very intelligently. I'm more like a, just tell me in layman's terms. And he's so intelligent that he can tell you in layman's terms. And, and I, I, you know, he's probably one of the only people that I was able to get a lot from. And I remember mentioning to you before I even knew that, uh, you know, your connection there. Oh, you two are very similar in that way. And you're like, well, that's interesting because <laughs> then, it, then it all connected. And I was like, aha, there it is. There it is. So, yeah, no, I'm looking forward to that. I think you guys will be brilliant. And that's going to be another one where I'm probably just going to try and sit back and just <laughs> listen to you guys share stories but even the ask shannon anything podcast i think that's going to be interesting too to see what people come up with yeah well not many people know this but i'm into 60s uh furniture particularly really? danish furniture yeah what what does what do you mean by that 
What do you mean you're into it? What oh, sort of what I sort of furniture it. are you into? Danish sixties furniture. You know that sixties style stuff. Yeah, um, like so. Little, what lounges, like bed, like uh, oh, coffee yeah, tables. Yeah, the whole kit and caboodle. Okay, so when I come down and visit your house, and when we're when we're allowed to get out of here and move around, is that what I'm going to see at your house? Yeah, my place is like a museum. Like <laughs> <laughs> each piece has got a story. I've got a 1966 Mini Cooper S. Yeah, there if I go. could change my house, it'd be more 60s style. But I just haven't got enough money. Well, that makes sense now. Uh, why Shannon's uh, Instagram handle is at nine one seven Cooper. For anyone who's ever wondered why, when I tag nine one seven Cooper, why is he tagging that Shannon? That's 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 Shannon. So make sure you give him a follow. By the way, I don't think he's tried to stay under the radar, but I'd, I'd like to start to just get him a few more follows. Yeah, just I don't know to... what be following. I don't know how to, I don't know how Instagram works. So. <laughs> oh, it doesn't matter, mate. Well, your your uh, your uh, podcast Instagram is is every day there's new followers following that so oh that's good yeah that's good that's good we've got that covered don't worry all right mate well until next week uh thanks for for uh sharing some great stories again and and for all the listeners out there until next week thank you very much for joining us again as i said i hope you got a lot out of this episode and uh, we've got some great variety coming up as i said with great interviews with tani white but also brand best coming on talking about 2001 shanghai what a great meet that was and then ask shannon anything I'm excited about that. So until next time, guys, have a great weekend. Uh, Live the dream and we'll see you next time. Thanks, Robbie. Cheers.